Welcome to the Heart Posture Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Jazz. And we are two curious, ever-learning teachers who continually find a deeper connection with Jesus on our yoga mats. We believe Jesus was the ultimate yoga teacher. And while he may not have practiced handstands, he lived our favorite asana, the heart posture. Hey, Michelle. We're back. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) Want to breathe together? Always. Okay, let's do it. All right, so wherever you are, maybe today, place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. And again, notice the natural movement and the patterns of your breath. And make sure that you are noticing without judgment, with complete compassion. There's no real right or wrong way to be breathing, but letting this be an opportunity for you to connect with your breath, your life force, your vitality, your energy. And then bring your awareness to your exhale. See if you can push a little bit more air out. And we'll take three rounds together, emptying all of our air out first. A nice slow breath in and a big breath out. Two more like that. And out. One more. And out. And then maybe add a little bit of movement, shake it out, look around, notice the space you're in, get in touch with the present reality. Right now, we are in my studio. We are about to talk about Jesus and yoga. Yay! Before we get started, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the land that we are currently residing on, which belongs to the Keech people, also known as the Tongva Nation. And we also want to acknowledge the sages and teachers and leaders of this ancient yoga practice, as well as the teachers and leaders of the Christian traditions that have been teaching us for centuries as well. Mm-hmm. Do you want to acknowledge our personal teachers? Yeah. Who are okay. some of your personal teachers? Uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> as you are mine. Um, I literally, <laughs> yeah, Ashley. I also like really... When I do my quiet time in the morning, I will text Jazz, like, what does this mean? <laughs> like, why did this happen in First Kings or whatever? And so you are also, I acknowledge you for being one of my Bible teachers. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also acknowledge the Bible Project. Um, Tim Mackey and Jim Collins have done such an amazing job with making deep theology accessible, not just accessible in the form of videos and podcasts, but also accessible in that it's easy to understand. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really their videos and podcasts that inspired me and told me, hey, we can break complex things down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can do this. So I want to acknowledge them. And really, I'm so grateful for you introducing to us their content and their podcast because it blows your mind. 
important. It does. And it really solidifies this part, of, at least for me, from my own experience, there's this inner voice that has always been curious when I was reading the Bible. And there was just something that didn't sit right with me with what was being taught and and not really fully understanding what I was reading. And so I'm just in awe of learning from the Bible Project and keeping in mind when we're reading it that we are remembering who it was written to first. Right. Yeah. I like to make this differentiation with my students and remind them constantly that the Bible was not written to us, but written for us. It was written to people that lived thousands of years ago, but it was written um, also for us living now. But if we take scripture out of context, then we can make it say whatever we want. And that's not the intention. Gosh, and I have so many, so many stories and examples of how that happened, at least for me. I went to a private school and our vice principal said that we could not, both of us are sitting here with braided hair Mm -hmm. and said that women could not braid their hair or wear jewelry and that his wife had to call him Lord. (gasps) What? Yes, it's from one of the verses in the Bible. Like First Peter or something? Uh, okay, I know the jewelry and the braid. I've never heard of the Lord part. The jewelry and the braid can easily be like easy because that's talking about yeah, tell a, us. that's not talking about a modesty in terms of like modesty that we like to use that we've used um, for purity culture and all that. Like modest is hottest. What what, the, what Paul is getting at in those verses is. Um, modesty in terms of wealth and materialism. So for the early church, um, the early church was very diverse and you would have, you know, a prostitute worshiping next to a, someone from the palace. And so why would you show up to church adorned in gold with silver in your hair when the person next to you doesn't know where they're going to eat next or when they're going to eat next? And so it's like, be mindful of like, you know, the people around you. Have some compassion, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Which is so perfect, because that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Today, we're talking about Ahimsa. The first limb in this path is the yamas, and it's part of the ethical guidelines. The yamas specifically are how we are to live well with other people. And as I have dived into this topic, I... Remember the first time reading Deborah Adele's book, The Yamas and Niyamas, with eyes wide open and just saying, oh my gosh, every seven seconds, because there is so much overlap between the call of Jesus followers and the call of Ahimsa. So, so cool. Yes, we highly recommend her book, The Yamas and Niyamas, Exploring Yoga's Ethical Practices by Deborah Adele. Are we going to have show notes? Are we fancy? We could be fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we can put that in the show notes, all of our resources that we talked about today. Uh, Before we go any deeper, I do want to acknowledge that we, neither of us are Sanskrit scholars. No. And we will be using words in Sanskrit and probably butchering the pronunciation 99% of the time. And we do that with complete humility, knowing that we are trying our best and Of course, we're both committed to being students always of both of these practices. And so when we know better, we will continue to do better. Yep. Cool. You just mentioned the eight limb path and talked about yamas. And the first one is ahimsa. But before going a little bit 
more into that, I wanted to reference where it comes from. And it actually comes from the book, The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And do you know who Patanjali was? Um, an old guy. <laughs> yeah, some say he was an old guy or a bunch of old guys. Who knows? Maybe women. We hey, don't know. Yeah. Just sages. They say that it, Patanjali could have been one person or a bunch of sages. We're not really sure. But the sutras, sutra comes from the word suture. And this means that it's a bunch of different words that the read together the teacher, the student, and the message of the text. And the sutras are super cool. They have a lot of meaning to it. So one word, you can unpack it and it has so much. And it makes me so excited to continue to learn about this. So for example, the word ahimsa. Himza means violence. And with the A in front of it, it means the absence of violence. So ahimsa means nonviolence, non-harm, respect for life, attitude of respect, benevolence, care. I love to see it as compassion and kindness and love. Yeah. And really, <laughs> love is the root of the Christian tradition. I mean, the basic commands that Jesus gave over and over were to love God and show your love for God by loving people. Mm -hmm. And so treating people in a way that is nonviolent, I think is a great way of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess in our nature, that wasn't really obvious, right? Because right. in the Old Testament, it said to, they had to tell the people not to kill each other. Yeah. Which is uh, so many other things. What? Well, because even early on in scripture, it's like, Cain murdered his brother, but without the Ten Commandments being laid down or any record that we know of God saying, don't do that. As soon as Cain murdered him, like he knew that he had done something wrong. So I think that tells us that there is something in our nature that is striving for good. And like, we know if we take the time to search and to also like hear the voice, <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that there is a natural inclination that tries to convict us when we cause harm to other people. Yeah. So there's this, this battle, this inner battle that mm -hmm. we all have, that we inherently are good, but that we've also fallen short because of just this world. Mm -hmm. Maybe? Yeah. Cool. In Deborah Adele's book, she says that if we look closely, we can trace all these acts that we see in the world, these acts of greed, control, and insecurity back to their root, and their root is fear. And as soon as I read that, I immediately thought of the verse in 1 John 4.18 that says there's no fear in love. And it really is this fear that keeps us from loving people, and we'll get into that more. But when you think about... Think about the times that we've been scared and like the ways that we have acted out unintentionally as a reflection of the fear and the turmoil that's going on inside, right? But Jesus says there's no fear in love because when we truly love God and we truly love people, we know that it's not about us, just us Like at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that we are meant to, we are designed to be with others and to yeah. care for others. Yeah. And that's, I mean, very primal from an evolutionary standpoint. Yeah. That's, we took care of each other. Yeah. And somehow along the way we have lost that. Yeah. I, I couldn't help but think of recent events, like when COVID happened, 
and everybody started hoarding all the toilet paper because they were so afraid. Yeah. They were just really scared that like there was not going to be enough. Yeah. And that fear caused violence and it caused harm because people couldn't get what they needed Mm -hmm. because other people were so afraid of not having enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so much of our fear is really a reflection of what's going on in our own bodies and in our hearts and our minds. So, you know, like with the toilet paper example, we we saw people trying to hang on and control as much as they possibly could. And that's what fear does. It keeps us clinging to control. It keeps us acting outside of our bodies. Like we don't even, when we're in fight or flight, like we act without even realizing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just the reflex. Yeah, and we're acting from a primal part of our brain. Yeah. From our reptilian brain, from the lizard brain. Where yeah. It really is about survival. Yeah. It serves its purpose, but living in continual fear keeps us, most importantly, from serving those that look, sound, and vote differently than we do. Mm-hmm. When we're afraid of the homeless person on the street, we're afraid that they're going to attack us or we're afraid that they're going to use our money for beer mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. How could they? Yeah. <laughs> it keeps us from truly loving and serving them. Yeah. And I can't help but think of one of my favorite verses, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Mm. So if we just take a moment and let our nervous system reset and readjust, take a breath in and look outside of ourselves, then we could look at this person without a home with loving eyes and yeah. knowing that they have a story. And so now we have this sound mind and now we have this sense of power of, again, not losing our sense of control. And then we can act differently. Right. Yeah. My street has recently had a string of, I don't even know what to call it, because it's people cutting out exhaust pipes from other people's cars. Oh. Yeah, because I guess they're very expensive. I don't know. There's a lot of that going around. Yeah. And so my mom was talking about solutions that were, at the end of the day, Band-Aid solutions. And I told her, if you want to solve this problem, for the most part, people aren't taking this risk cutting out these exhausts just for the fun of it. They need something. They're in need. And so if we take care of people's needs, then we won't have this problem. And if this person's needs are taken care of, then then they're not going to act from this place of fear either of, you know, resorting to cutting people's exhaust so that they can feed their kid. What if we looked at this person caught on camera as a dad who lost his job during COVID and has three kids to feed? You know, like how does that change our attitude and our perspective? Oh, man. Yeah, that makes me think of two things. One is the story of a dad who's on a bus and he has these three kids and they're running around and they're acting like wild Mm -hmm. and they're hyper and they're out of control. And a, a mom goes up to the dad and is like, you really need to control your kids. Like this behavior is totally inappropriate. It's not okay." And the dad just looks over and says, yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. You know, I I lost my wife. They've lost their mom. It's just been a really hard time. Oh, my gosh. I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Emotional. (laughs) I mean, how bad did she probably Uh, feel? Yeah. (laughs) But if we can, like, really change the way we look at people, it makes such a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. The other story that I thought of, and I'm going to forget what movie it is that you might remember, It's some story, and I can only think of Liam Neeson right now because I think he's in it. And they're like, he's robbing, it's either him, I think it's him. He's robbing 
this monk who he's living with uh-huh. and he's taking like the really expensive silverware in the middle of the night. Oh, you're talking about the play, Les Miserables? Okay, so Les Mis. So go ahead, because you're remembering it better than me. Oh, so the main the main guy in Les Mis, he is given a place to stay in the church or hostel or something by the priest. And he's stealing the candlesticks or like the candle holders. And um, then the police catch him and bring him back to the priest. And they're like, look, this man is stealing your stuff. And the priest goes, oh, you also forgot the silverware mm-hmm. and like totally covered for him. That yeah. is Ahimsa. Yes. That is compassion. So it's again, recognizing the story and the needs that this person has. Yeah. So I, I couldn't help but think about that. I mean, obviously I'm probably not going to go outside and help the person taking the exhaust pipe and say, <laughs> right. here, take the car too. <laughs> yeah. Although I would really wish I could. Like here, here's my keys. Yeah. You need this more than I do. <laughs> but similar idea. Yeah. But that selflessness is exactly what Jesus calls us to. And it's, yeah, we're not called to be comfortable. We're called to give and love so hard that it actually makes us uncomfortable. And I think that story from Lehman's is such a good example mm-hmm. because our initial reaction would be throw that man out, lock him up, whatever. Like he's stealing my stuff, but it's much harder and takes much more compassion and it's much more uncomfortable to meet him where he is. Yeah. There's so many Bible stories where Jesus shows us what that actually looks like and yeah. how we meet people where they're at. So part of ahimsa is one of the ways that we cause harm is by thinking that we know better for other people and we we have to know that we can't save people or fix people like what we are called to do is to model love and we know that because that's what jesus did jesus first and foremost sought relationship with people from the woman at the well to Zacchaeus and Matthew, tax collectors who had stolen from the people. Mm-hmm. Jesus literally told them the first things he said were, Come follow me to Matthew, and then to Zacchaeus, Hey, I'm coming over for dinner. He did not start the conversation with, You know what you've been doing, right? Pointing that finger, and actually never even tells them how they have wronged other people, at least in scripture. We don't have any evidence of Jesus saying, Now, Matthew, now that we've been friends, I got to talk to you about what you were doing (laughs) because Jesus didn't need to. When you model love and compassion, then it follows. And we know that because Zacchaeus ended up paying back the debts that he had stolen from people. Yeah. So what does that look like today? How would we pay back our debts from the himza that we have caused towards others? Yeah. So I think... A simple way is what we do at the start of our podcast, which is a land acknowledgement, Mm -hmm. just acknowledging that the studio sits on land that was taken unrightfully and in a violent way and in an oppressive way, and that the people who own this land and tended to it and took care of it are still being oppressed and acknowledging that and also, you know, raising our voices and using the resources that we have to help them in their liberation and also reparations. Mm -hmm. So giving back to organizations and businesses, supporting people of color. Yeah. And and making sure that we ourselves are living in uh, as much of a sustainable way as possible in supporting these people. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's just one example. Just one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to people who say, well, that's not my responsibility, which is something that we hear often. It's it's something that I see with my, with my students a lot. And I see it with your kids when you tell them to clean up and then they're like, well, I am not the one that took that out. And you're like, I know. (laughs) Go help. Yeah. Just like, uh, I didn't do it, but I'm helping you. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's like, we, yeah, we're not the ones that drove the people out, but we have still benefited from these systems and it is still our responsibility. It reminds me of in Luke chapter four, when Jesus says that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So something that I learned from Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove's book, Reconstructing the Gospel and Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion. He says that the Greek word Jesus uses in Luke's gospel, tokos, refers to those who have been made poor by unjust systems. So to be an evangelical is to be committed to challenging injustice and economic exploitation. Wow. So Ahimsa is not (laughs) just physical violence, but it's also violent systems and harmful systems. Yeah. So really it's about dismantling these systems that have been put in place. It's so much bigger than simply how we are treating the person that is, you know, stealing an exhaust pipe from our car. Yeah, totally. And I think that that principle of it's so much bigger and goes so much deeper is Jesus's point in the Sermon of the Mount, where he takes essentially takes these Old Testament laws that have been practiced and practiced and practiced, and they've been practiced externally. So outside the body. And Jesus says, I'm not calling you to abandon that law. What I'm calling you to do is to take that principle into your heart space. So no longer is it only sinful to murder someone But when you wish harm on someone or even think badly about someone or treat someone as if they're not made in the image of God, then that's also murder. And even the way that the rules of sexuality that Jesus lays out, he's like, no longer is it sinful to, you know, simply take like this woman as your wife or to take your neighbor's wife as your wife, it's sinful to lust after a woman because when you lust after a woman, you're seeing her as an object for your own pleasure and not as an image bearer of the creator. So it's like taking these principles that we've practiced outside and externally and taking them into a heart's posture that is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and causes commotion and just, ugh. Yeah, there's some (laughs) uncomfortable people listening right now. (laughs) But really, so it's like this takes evangelism to a whole other level. Because Mm -hmm. for me, growing up, evangelism was we go and we save, like you said, save all the lost souls by telling them about Jesus, having them say a prayer, and now they're saved. Mm -hmm. Without looking at their life and seeing their needs And looking at how much they're being oppressed by these big systems that are put in place. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, short-term mission trips are such a great example. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I've been on quite a few of those myself. (laughs) Again, when we know better, we do better. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, wow. So Ahimsa is our responsibility as Christ followers. Ahimsa is the foundation to this this ancient yoga philosophy, and it's a lot easier said than done. As you just said, all these outward practices, 
all these actions outside of ourself are a direct reflection of our heart posture. And it makes me think of a story that Deborah talks about in her book of this boy. They had just recently come back from India with his parents and he started to bite everybody. And they didn't know what was going on. Why was he biting everyone? What they found out was that he had worms in his stomach, that he had gotten these parasites when he was Hmm. across the sea. Yeah. Yeah. So again, his insides were eating him. So then he was going to display that outside of himself. And she shares this other story of another boy who was holding his stools. He was constipated and he was holding it in. And again, it was manifesting outside of himself because he was cranky and grumpy and treating everybody violently. So how fitting is that when we know, oh, when people are hurting people, they're hurt themselves. Yeah. Hurting people hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) And that's, again, it requires so much uncomfortability and work to stop in these moments of anger and frustration and to, look inward and ask ourselves, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. So yeah, not just like, you know, spiritually bypassing our anger and saying anger is bad, but, you know, allowing ourselves space to feel so that we can figure out what we're feeling and why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this, these two boys, one had worms in his stomach, the other one was holding his stools there was this sense of powerlessness. Yeah. They're young. They're not able to communicate what's going on. They don't even know what's going on really on their insides. And so how often are we in those similar situations? I was just going to say that. How (laughs) often are we also acting out of really powerlessness that we feel? Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to that idea that, well, when we remember where our power truly comes from, then there's this sense of liberation when we can surrender to that. Yeah. Yeah. And in our last episode, we asked the question, should Christians do yoga? And we talked about the articles that we'd read about the reasons why Christians shouldn't practice yoga. And all of the reasons are fear-based and they come from a a position of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. And as Jesus followers, at least Michelle and I know that the our power lies in Jesus and that taking a warrior two posture isn't opening me up to any forces. <laughs> Practicing deep breathing is is not opening me up to the ruler of the air because I know that I am not powerless in Jesus. On the contrary, I have the most power in Jesus. Yeah, and it's so crazy because for me, when I practice yoga asana and pranayama, so breath work and and mindfulness and meditation, that is how I get my power back. That Mm -hmm. is when I'm reminded who I am, who I am at my heart center and who I belong to. And that's, again, giving us back that sound mind and our ability to, to move now and think from a place of love. So as a mom of three little ones running a business, and doing all the things, I tend to not be able to have as much self-care. And so it's really apparent and obvious when that happens because I am not taking care of my insides or my outsides. And then I'm taking it out on my kids or my husband. And then that is an indicator to me that it's time to do some reflection and to start taking care of myself. Right. Yeah. I I can't just pray my way out of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we need, we need action. Yeah. <laughs> we need practices. We need tools. Yes. Yeah. James says that faith without action is useless. 
Yeah. And, and so when we look at this as, again, this ethical practice on how we treat other people, it's really, really important that we are looking at them, again, so with eyes of compassion, knowing their stories. Mm-hmm. When we look at people who think differently than us, oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when people think differently than us in a way that is completely opposite of what we stand for. Mm-hmm. What do we do then? what does rich say (laughs) (laughs) yeah so to close out this discussion knowing that ahimsa this practice of nonviolence, this practice of compassion this biblical practice of love is so holistic and one of our favorite authors we just finished his book his name is rich viodas 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 yeah and he wrote the deeply formed life yes And so we're going to close us out with his words. Yeah. A little passage from his book. Yeah. That really stuck out to both of us. Can you do the honor? Yeah. All right, cool. I love it. Our world is often marked by a level of such hostility, animus, and vitriol that compassion feels like an impossible reality. As Mother Teresa famously stated, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. The attacking that permeates our souls and cities is fueled by deep fear and suspicion. The posture of being against the world is one that has marked Christian witness for centuries. But what makes genuine Christian engagement with the world different is that we don't hate the people we are trying to change. Hmm. Can you read that last line again? Yep. The posture of being against the world is one that has marked Christian witness for centuries. But what makes genuine Christian engagement with the world different is that we don't hate the people we are trying to change. We don't hate the people that we are trying to change. (sighs) Wow. And one step further, we're not here to change people anyways. Yeah. We're here to change ourselves. And then through that transformation, people are able to model that change. Like Jesus. Yeah. That's Ahimsa. All right. So... As a yoga facilitator, I end my classes with reminding my students that this practice is more than simply moving our bodies on a mat, but that this is a lifestyle and it is something that we do off of our mat. So we want to provide you with some action steps and ways that you can start to apply ahimsa to your life. Yeah. So maybe we challenge ourselves to examine how often and where we are acting out of places of love and when we're acting out of places of fear. Yeah, so we can also consider this week to simply observe those moments of frustration, of being short-tempered, and having perhaps thoughts that are not loving, stopping and taking three deep breaths to reconnect and to reset. Yeah, great idea. Cool. Well, thanks, Jazz. This was fun. (sighs) So fun. I'm so excited for our next one. (laughs) So may we all be open to new ways of seeing ourselves, the world, and our faith. Peace out. Bye.